air drum solo. Um, so the first thing I want to do is apologize if I uh, butcher your last name because I do not speak a word of French. So Aru, is that more or less right? Okay. Poets take a risk by including prose introductions to collections of poetry. Such passages can easily risk becoming the equivalent of an exhibit catalog, mapping out a path and context for readers to experience the art that follows. Cynthia King's 2010 collection, People Are Tiny in Paintings of China, contains such prose passages, not only at the beginning of the collection, but scattered throughout. In one of those passages near the end of the book, Aru King writes, During the first year of grad school, my friend Caroline, half-Jewish, half-black, consistently brings me food when I am sick, talks to me when I cry, lets me wash my clothes at her house. We laugh a lot together. She tells me at lunch one day, Oh, I was drawn to you specifically because of your mixed ethnicity. I think we've endured struggles together no one else would understand. I wouldn't have talked to you otherwise. Hearing it out loud, it might read as an exceptionally simple passage. But there's such intentionality behind every word, every preposition, comma, capitalization. There's the assonance of struggles and understanding that brings the two words closer together, the barrage of hard T sounds in the last sentence that darkens the sentiment a bit. The almost, this almost microscopic level of attention that Aru King brings to these six sentences reveals her not only to be a very capable poet, but one who's able to break the curse of the introductory prose passage for me. Aru King's attention to detail in both such passages and the accompanying poetry do not lend themselves to straightforward interpretations. They don't act as guides. Instead, they start in straightforward places, sometimes linger there, but eventually move to a space of flux and questioning. To do a massive disservice to a multidimensional, syntactically diverse, and languid collection, People Are Tiny in Paintings of China deals with hybrid cultural identities. Aru King's details her own experiences, half French, half Chinese, from childhood to the world of academia. Through her own experiences, Aru King challenges readers. She asks what, if anything, exists beyond our countries and cultures of origin. She challenges readers to assess the burden and limits of memory. She asks how we define home. And it's not a coincidence that many of the poems in People Are Tiny take place in motion, on highways, in planes, scrunched into buses. There's nothing static in King's poetry. Everything is shedding, shifting, or reassessing, or at risk of doing so at any moment. Sadly, to this day, writing by non-heterosexual white males is still often classified the degree of difference from white men, as though the poets are expected to speak for their race, gender, sexual orientation, or culture. Cynthia Ruking's poetry refuses your request for a portrait, for a primer, for a glossary, and instead offers you a challenge, one well worth working through. Cynthia Ru King is the author of the 2010 collection, People Are Tiny in Paintings of China, and the recently released collection, Manifest, from Switchback Books. Her first collection appeared on the Believer's Reader's Choice poetry list in 2011 and was mentioned on Seth Abramson's list of best contemporary works of poetry in the Huffington Post. She teaches creative writing at the Richard Stockton College in my home state, the great state of New Jersey. Please join me in welcoming Cynthia Ru King. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gabe. Yep. Thank you, Gabe. And thanks for being from New Jersey. Um, Max? Good? Okay. Everybody else can hear me okay in the back? Sorry. Thanks so much for coming out um, today to hear some poems. How many people are students at this school? Oh, cool. Most. I'm going to read three newish poems, and then I'm going to read a few poems from my second book. Thank you so much for that really great introduction. Um, 
poem is called Eternity. I decided I would keep large half shells as plates and never think of a man-made plate again. The world in which that would happen. The imagination of this beyond, a broth. Everyone asks why there's no furniture in this house. It's because today must be the first day. Today is made for writing an eternal poem, for the torso and not the clothes. The light of the sublime and not the subway doors closing. Endings staying scarce, the windows braced. And yet, how I love the snow leveling off and pushed against the vans. You're looking for a place dry enough to step on and never getting your foot wet, despite the ice lagoons, your hand reaching for my hand. How it takes me a minute to realize you are wearing gloves because I am wearing gloves. Um, I used to live on the shore in New Jersey for about three years. And probably some of you have lost somebody like a long time ago and it's funny how the loss keeps inserting itself. Poem. Ocean, one perceivable star, blue burnished, close. A pink collar hangs around new horizon. I turn my head and scope the sunset. I turn my head and note darkness doing its nightly boast. Scan the sky, find the star, first star. So pinpoint, so answer. Look to its side, see it. But then any blue patch offers the thing, a point, a pin, a white conflagration, far enough to mean little. And soon all the stars are out. They burn and I recall the poem in which I cannot find you. No one motion can break the camera so high over the beach. The baseball chucked directly up twists in for a close-up. The orderlies far off in winter are clean and different to a number I cannot recall. But looking in this high rise for your room, I need it. And everyone flips through strangers' x-rays. The exact population of stars means little to them. The exact address I need to be at, no one knows. They keep calling your place, not a room, but a kind of paragraph. And um, this poem is for a friend of mine who um, was having a really, really hard time about a year ago. I feel like life is hard for everyone. There's all this stuff about like women, um, definitely need a certain kind of help, but think about men talking about how they feel sometimes is not, not exactly high on our list sometimes, so rather good than nice. To hear of each man splitting and slowly malfunctioning, the apple core bigger than you thought, and each bite, a seed launches out reminding you it is arsenic. Your brother warned you once, almost happy, a cup or so of apple seeds would kill you. And she was right standing in her kitchen with a knife months after her husband died, saying to me, yeah, I hate being in love. It's like being poisoned. The waiting insufferable no matter 
how you want to work your way in. Someone who could fix a broken drawer so it wouldn't keep looking open when I meant for it to slide shut. A man who can stay up late with his thoughts. A vinegar eats calcium buildup. A man not poisoning himself one inadvertent Monday. There's always licking the gluey envelopes shut or how the daily routine slides a plastic stick in his mouth and jerks the bristles back and forth. So this next poem is the first poem in my new book and it is slightly long. So you're going to, you're going to be very formidable and strong right now and hear a long poem. It's called Ode to Not Dreaming and it's from a time I went through a museum with my mother and I started to realize that we were like going through ages of like history and it was like really kind of sticking in my head and it was also a time when I was when we were at war and I was thinking about how is it that we kind of go about our business and things like that are happening Ode to Not Dreaming I told you wildness is hands off when asleep that darling space saves her lunch dollar in a jar. Over a week and falling asleep to another chance Eiffel Tower, a girl can still love and run to climb that height eight times. She ignores everything but something golden that lights up. Diesel wipes her face. Wildness exists in the lens rampant in our cells. The sleepy lung of smoke drawn by hand, a hand reaching into this dream so real it looks original or yours. It's a thin glass over an egg, shaded and shaded in terminal thoughts. I think, who knows what aspects of dreams and reality run down orange halls in a parallel sense. Slow gold flicks all the windows. The green glass of your eyes teems with birds, twin wings inexplicable as paste. In this art, each ordinary mosaic separates to single shells, rouge or cerulean, the how pretty inlaid panels and a brooch of distraction. Mom and the Empire era secretary stare each other down in the museum foyer. That trembling guilt split by wood still, still holding. A man stands nearby and coughs, his eyes in what I don't say, beauty not knowing. Our happy prisms, vague prisms, the curtain odd. No thought lies across a sweet pink museum scratched and lethal in actual streets. Rubbed white, I hold your sleeve. A dream comes out of your eyes and mouth. The war wears rubber shoes to hide its feet. And after the splash, what is it about this nightmare that makes me so speechless? That makes the mind reach for cover under something plastic and unseen. That blood, it isn't dreamed. A mind filters fickle and preserving and always a bloody sun bursts under damp quilts. Oil wells, your sparkle is a distant conflagration. Then finding the right distance to stand from an image to see what face is hidden in its nickel shreds. A step forward, two steps back. You use restraint for tying nightmare's hands. A museum hall breaks into the past. I'm impressed with the medieval room, tapestries that calm mom. Her bones shrank from being a girl in war, bone soaps shrinking in flesh foam. 
She hates unidentifiable wax and avant and foil flowers. Pressure from the meaning of dominant and when. Bearing seedling guilt my eyes, confused about who was saying and knowing what proved failure. No concepts strung together haphazard feel like a solid rail in the world. Even yesterday, my mother stood in front of a chic, gigantic mural, paint peeling on a German building, white wings revealing hot bare brick. Texture of do-nothing, pretty decay. She wasn't impressed by that, nor by an arrangement of lucite cubes glued to a wall in a cloud. Don't go back to sleep, I say, to a knock on the door. But after a long period of being pale, I get curious again, vital and happy. Stillness being the only thing that makes drawn gray water tip out clean. The flaw is doom touched to you with a waxen hand while you sleep. Underneath this comfortable dream lie cold tiles, real tiles, and a stranger debate. A lost man argues his dog's tail needs to be cut in the middle. He licks it, cut it short. Yvette says, that won't help since the problem was the itch in the dog's rectum. That's why he licks... She says, wouldn't it be better to solve this with medicine rather than cutting the tail in two? No, he says, leaning forward. No, no. You need to cut the tail in two. I like that clock. It's very like so many clocks from classes. Okay. Oh, yeah, it would be, I don't know, like way over or way under. Okay. Um, I had a friend who used to live in Los Angeles and he told me about all the deer that live there. And once I read this poem and someone in the I said the title and the person in the audience said, there are no deer in Los Angeles. But there are. It's called Deer of Los Angeles. <laughs> they overhear but don't understand a man moving his mouth. I'm writing a script about a girl who's afraid of cars. A mercury cougar glazes past, red, and parks. They touch their noses to convertible hoods. Who will give them a hamburger today? They, what car will they leap? Brown fixed these deer farouche spray, paint, spray painted flank. Excuse me, spray painted flanks. Next tagged by scraping past. Bloated deer wait over here an egregious mistake. They read carefully how to deal with broken glass, star maps, fur matted with mayonnaise. One rotates an ear stiff toward a window. Listen to him, smell him, a boy like a dead foot. Trust and day-long fear. Every moment is danger, every bullet a woman. To deer there's no bride on fire. Is there? Deer dart away, big hairy words like freedom and will. Two words wearing sunny lame while junked out kids not making it big chat, quiz each other on their first memories, actually thinking, I can fly and jumping off the garage roof. Paper dries, I'm close past deer dry and blank, as if their broken interest could kick in your skull for that anthem. Blasphemy requires this one be dead serious. The deer touch their noses to the convertible hoods. Parking lot so crowded with cars, late to school, three deer actually puzzle and slide between bumpers. Stand behind a car, a woman backs downhill. She breaks at the sight of their bulk. Rearview tan fur, she half rents and gets out. 
One looks uphill, another's look barely touches the bumper. 13 minutes. 13 minutes standing with these tame deer who don't speak English or flinch, slowly becoming men. Um, come on in. This one's called French Mother with Tornado Sirens in background. I don't know why I was such a dog for all of you. It was misty. From the lookout, I could see the other state from this state. Give me a real dog. I wasn't yet a mother who put her things in a trunk and sailed three weeks to the states. The sun carried away my paper sack, two small tin dogs painted red, and my snack, jam and toast drowned in a tunnel of dust-charged air. It was misty. From the lookout, I could see the other state from this state. The world goes by, and the world goes by me. The Ohio rolled brown and full of tin caps I couldn't pluck and bag. I wait. I've got a clear throat, and no pumice can mend this. My son's hat, white and whisked into the Charles. The Hudson full of boats, wind swept past and tipped. We baked a sun scouring down like we were dirt wind over my hair. I know how George crossed the Delaware, whereas I, to get my points across, have used bridges. My skirt dipped black into the pond, no thought of the day for all the lonely. And I'm gonna read two more poems. Um, I used to be an ultrasound tech. Um, so this is from that time. And I noticed at the time there were lots of nurses that always impressed me by coming in when there's like something horrible happening. And there was no, how are you? Are you okay? Like talking about feelings. And uh, there's a like quantifiable thing called compassion fatigue. So I wondered about that. It's called compassion fatigue. Watching the man with a fractured skull chew buttered toast. Hearing the do doctor ask, why I'm on such a long break. I count off silently how long it will take him to chew the banana, drink milk, knowing how long it will take the aide to sprinkle the other patient with powder. I think about a soldier felling a soldier and then about a doctor facing that salad of limbs and someone later complaining about a blown off knee to him like someone complaining about a hair in mashed potatoes. In the meantime, I think of small rabbits huddling in a hutch, noses cold, malformed pity, mostly a spoon of fear to walk around. I think of eating three plates of stew in my dream, of a complicated piece of cloth trying to be more than what it is. I wish the children could drive themselves to school, skilled as they are. The nurse steamrolling her cousin on the phone, only two beers, God, I just hate that for you hate that for you, the way people break down at the smell of disease, metal beds, marble floor, too hard to walk. I consider a reply to, I need, I need, sympathy like touching one's forehead with paper. Now come back to the pine with a notion of yearning. Now come back to a fragrant shoulder and bolt. Now come back with the fake millstone of observed pain gone, of wanting to be wrapped 
in gray elastic cloth, wrapped stiff and set down to work in cold wood. Pulling necessity taught, no touching down into emotion, bandaging the wound, seeing, and spooning ice into the mouth. And this last poem is called Waiting. Waiting. I'm waiting for the eggs to reach room temperature. I'm not sure if it's better to read all the Flannery O'Connor stories in a row or one a summer, so I have something to live for. My father used to receive his chocolate out of the lint box and set it on the arm of the sofa, where it stayed through the entire opening of the Christmas presents. My father used to open his presents with a knife edge to the scotch tape so that the whole piece of paper fell from the gift, not a tear. Tomorrow the internet will come on in this place, and I regret not waiting longer, so many hours filled with the intent to be lost. Each man laughs at entirely different things than I would. I fire them one by one, tell them sorry. Stephanie tries not to read more than four books at a time, young and wise. How in this confusion can beloved things accumulate? Not even paintings escape being thought of and waited for. Slowly the thought of this living room and everyone I love gathering. Even my cherished dead alert on this futon, they party with the living, those daily called and the long departed from my life. Din of dishes, accents. A wind heaves, the power line pops. Outside a mob sound rises and all I see are people pouring from their houses with children in cloud stamped pajamas. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cynthia. I noticed that the two times you said slide, well, maybe you said it more, but the two times that a skateboarder went by, you said the words slide both times. <laughs> In a review of Kate Greenstreet's most recent book, Young Tambling, Laura Carter writes, quote, Greenstreet takes art seriously, and she sees it as a way of being fully real. That these artists she knows and refers to are both friends and also strangers, which works for her to provide a way of making the world more fully habitable." End quote. Other ways of saying this include, Green Street writes poems and turns them into videos for which she makes the music and works the camera. Or, Green Street writes poems into experimental memoir that incorporates ballads and text textural photographs of her paintings along with images of handwritten text. Or, Green Street tours with these poems like a band tours with a new album, only there might be a little <laughs> less crowd surfing involved. <laughs> I don't know, I haven't been, so. Even if authored solo, the element of collaboration with other genres and other humans, including her partner in crime, husband Max, who is also here, is always present. When set to a score, when located in a frame, when paired with images, when taken on tour, Green Street's poems still do the work a poem should do, but are allowed more space to do so. In addition to Young Tambling, published by Asada Press, her previous books, also with Asada Press, include Case Sensitive and The Last Four Things. 
Her poetry can be found in Colorado Review, the Boston Review, Volt, Fence, Chicago Review, and other journals. Her chapbooks include Learning the Language, Rushes, This Is Why I Hurt You, and Called. Green Street poses questions throughout Young Tambling. She has also posed questions in the first book interviews, a series of interviews she conducted with poets who, at the time, had just one book out. In the spirit of asking questions, I've assembled a mini interview as a warm-up for what's to come. The answers are lines found in Young Tambling, and the questions are what I formed around them. And I hope I'm not taking the wind out of your sails by perhaps maybe using some of your favorite lines before you do. But if I am, I owe you my firstborn book. <laughs> What's your favorite song? A song about a girl who listens. When you look up from your work desk, assuming that you have one, what do you see? A picture of a family wearing the memory of a house. Please explain one thing to me. Here's my explanation of death. There is no water. What's one thing you remember about going to Catholic school? My hair wasn't big enough. <laughs> what thoughts do you have about the future? Not much has changed in the future. Can you tell me something about everything? Everything was there to teach us. In a 2008 First Books interview that Green Street conducted with herself, she said this about touring. I worked mostly at home and didn't go anywhere if I could avoid it. But after Case Sensitive came out, I went out with it. I traveled to faraway towns. I met a lot of poets. I read in front of audiences large and small. To do that, I had to turn myself inside out. I guess one of my goals is to be fully reversible. I'm working on it. Please join me in welcoming Kate Greenstreet, poet, image, and sound maker, videographer, web designer, and human who makes herself fully reversible to bring her work to you. Thanks, Frankie. That was really nice. Well, I'm still working on that reversible thing. Uh, we'll see. I think it might be, I might, it might take the rest of my life to get totally, totally reversible. They say you're a headstrong girl. You run into the woods and pull a double rose. This is later thought to be symbolic. But today, you just pick the flower and he appears as though called. If you were warned not to come here, he's the reason why. He pulls you down. Is it wrong? When it's done, according to the song, you turn to ask your true love's name. But he's gone, and the woods grow dim. Seems like some people are born waiting for something, always listening or looking, feeling toward the future. Other people, it just happens and they don't know what hit them. It must have been great at first. The gravel lane, the white phone, the cakes, that lampshade we had, absolutely exact. A family was standing in a high place. Down in the street, a car beeped, and then they all waved. You see what it becomes. He was a boy once. He remembers his father, 
and all the men. He rebuilds the maze. He'll bring his son here. Why do you laugh? Are you afraid? Will you sit here till I fall asleep? She has her habit in the suitcase. Even a stone can disappear. And now this, this is really hard. Yes, or be a man. Imagine how strong he'd need to be. Please don't tell me more about the future. As you've heard, it has started to snow again. Snow chains on the mountain roads. Chains are needed. What light? He beats her. And everybody knows. We didn't have another world to go to, but we had books. We had a library downtown. I think my best friend and I must have read every book in the young adult section by the time we were 10. That word adult attracted us. At least all the ones about girl detectives and romance and careers. We liked to sing on the swings, dance to records in the basement, talk about boys, act out dramatic scenes. But I also needed to be alone, to think. My mother gave me the tiny room off the kitchen where I could read and arrange things and listen to music on the radio. My father and my grandmother felt it was excessive for a child to have a room of her own. Before this, I was in the big room with my brothers, but my mother made it happen. My room had a counter running the length of one wall. I love this counter. The top was red linoleum. I used it mainly as a place to build small shrines. My father was constructing an archway into the living room. It took about five years to finish. So there were often pieces of wood and plasterboard around. I may take a chunk of two by four, cover it with a good white handkerchief, then set or stack things on it to look at them. Rocks, dollhouse furniture, stuff I'd find on the sidewalk or make out of sticks and tinfoil. This was almost an impulse toward sculpture, but I thought of my structures as altars or shrines. I always had an urge to put things together that didn't belong with each other until they were arranged by me in just the right way. Because rain has been falling. Because I always sing when I'm alone. This type of chorus is called a burden because it was once submerged all our habitats underwater. Printing, firearms, medicine, money, to put a spell on someone or to break a spell. Ever think your luck was really changing? We moved away from the city when I turned 15. My mother was 36. All the women on our new street were mothers. They must have been mostly in their early 30s. Their kids were still small. It was a pretty nice street. My mother was so happy to be in a place with trees. There were giant cracks in the life. We take that for granted now because that's how the time is portrayed. But the women had their houses and their children, their marriages. Their husbands came into the dry cleaners where I worked after school. When I think of them, Eleanor, Carolyn, Florence, 
Julie, Marianne. They seemed trapped on that street. But on other streets, Barbara Guest was alive. Joan Mitchell was alive. Agnes Martin was alive. Max, you're looking at me. How am I doing? I'm sick. And so, I'm sorry if I'm not bringing the total energy to this thing, but I'm doing my best. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, you know, I'll do anything. If it doesn't go over, you know, I'll, I, I'll pull out the stops at the end. <clears throat> what is that song? There's a part that sounds like sentient beings to condense, to fall from the air. You can't help thinking what you're looking for exists blowing through the branches of the trees, the smoke of our past, basket after basket. Tell me, is it all forests around here? Let me go on learning. I got the job in the cleaner soon after we moved. That's one of the places I learned about the kind of things that happen to girls. Because you'd be there alone most of the time. I learned a little bit about people. Mainly, I read. When it wasn't busy, you'd just sit there until someone walked in. So I read a lot, which was great, since I was always trying to find more time to read. She took the car? Maybe. Men go to sea. It comes into every serious and beautiful life, she said. A moment when the person is listening, trying to bring in a signal. I think I heard it, night after night, but it was never there on the tapes. Doleful is the word that keeps coming to mind. The family is sleeping. A rock, or believed to be a rock or ball of something falling from the sky. What's allowed, really? What's allowed now? He says he understands me. It's like a game. Why did he have a red hammer? That's a good question. I remember we were crossing a desert. I remember that no one could say what they felt. I thought he was different and better than everyone else. I felt he could see me. Everything was there to teach us. The guys went back to the cleaning and pressing in the first part of the day. When I got there, I bagged, stapled the tickets to the plastic bags of clothes and lift the clothes onto the conveyor. It could be heavy work for a person of my size, but I got stronger. The hardest thing about the job was how everybody came in all at once, Saturday morning, Friday night. That made me nervous because people would be in a hurry and there'd be a long line. But I found I could do the job and even like it. I did it for years, all through high school and after that full time. I was supposed to go to college. I'd been accepted, but I didn't want to go. Not that I intended to stay in town forever. But at the cleaners, although I interacted with people, I didn't have to try to be one of them. It was different from school in that way. 
In those years, I was especially attracted to books from the 19th century. I read a lot of stuff in translation. As a younger girl, I loved books and series. From there, I went on to long books. I liked a large word count. By this time, the friends I had weren't reading what I read, but the books were also my friends. There was a kind of fidelity involved. I didn't need to share them. I was faithful. Let me sing for you. Something about from now on. We know her face. She's not afraid to smile that way. Photogenic is only the beginning. Still resembles my idea of what a friend is. Lost, not. I hope you didn't blame me much. She remains in the background. Or, to say it better, elsewhere. The time I was living in while reading wasn't the time I occupied writing down NS for no starch. Shifting between the world of my book and dealing with whoever walked through the door was immediate and natural, like any double life. Later on, I would read to relax, but back then I didn't need relaxation. I needed to learn, and I needed to love. Not that I didn't love anyone, but I needed to love more. I read to encounter characters I could love deeply. In Russian novels and plays, people jumped up from the table and said things. And they weren't shocked if other people did. It was expected. I believed life took place in conversation, or that it could. I wanted to somehow slip through the barriers into the company of the real ones. I was just starting to paint, and I hoped to be an artist someday. The main thing is your idea, you said, of who you are. Then the rearrangement of the furniture, everyone in black. Though isn't there always someone in the dark color not black because they don't have black? Or maybe, for once, I wanted to express myself. A shadow broke the light beneath the door. You're leaving us so soon. It's a song about betrayal. Did you ever see a bunny fly? What is abstraction? Some things we didn't know. It's a song about a girl who listens. I explained a part to you. She's been a child. She has a child's love. Later, when we were walking, I could see that she was spelling in her mind the words that we were saying. And from time to time, she stopped to write one down if the letters were right. Ice, but no water. Smoke, but no fire. Air, but no land, no earth. No ground, no dirt, no soil. No G, no H, no N, no L. Lots of people were talented. I knew them all. They liked the right music. A lot of people have talent. It's not enough. No F, no D. 
Of suicides, only 15% leave a note. The ones I knew, 0%. Hanged, hanged, OD'd. Knife in the heart, burned. Can't call it suicide. He walked out of the burning house and sat down on the curb. He was talking to himself when the fire trucks pulled up, charred from head to foot. Art, as we knew it, he said, was just designed to get us through our 20s. After that, you're on your own. Voicing is working on the hammers themselves. He tried to come back and be who he was before. There was no picture. And he was saying that this very good friend of his had died. His face would be all red when he got off, and then he would make tea. He always fixed it then, just the way I liked, and brought it in and spilled a little. Can't call it grief. It's not like a field you lay down in to drown. It's just some blades. Blades of the wrong kind of grass. Witch grass, twitch grass, panic grass. I notice things missing all the time. Themes, language, and themes. They beat her to death because she loved the wrong person. And you can still find that in the news today. A woman was enjoying a night out. I had a suit like that once. White, with a sheer black blouse. What should she have done? I was taught that God chooses you. I knew he wasn't chasing me around the basement because he loved me. The refrain broke the sequence. I can still see you naked sometimes. What is that story of Camus, where the woman climbs a hill and offers herself to the night? Is there such a story? This is almost my story. I love the way he showed me his upholstery. One cut against the grain. Don't ask me, did it really happen? You know it did. One night, we each told the saddest word. You said no. She said please. I said wait. Slow down. Because I like to sing a hard song. Every day I rewrite the same poem. Now the town is gone, the girls are gone, stay with me is gone. Over the buildings is like over the water. If he makes all the stops, he'll never get out. Slow down. You have to feel it. You have to let yourself stop. Stop touching it. I used to wonder if I had a call. That's something you're taught in Catholic school. Certain people have a call to be a priest or a nun. I thought it might happen to me. I thought about being a nun a lot. A different kind of nun than the ones I had. I would behave differently and have a different habit. The Sisters of Charity had these terrible habits. But some other nuns look good. How does an addiction differ from a call? In the museum, I looked for a long time at a piece of art. It would be called minimalist. 
And I wonder about the day, the room, the light. What was the temperature as it was being made? My affection for the work is partly based on imagining the making, my empathy for the maker. Is empathy the word when you feel another's joy? So many moments go unrepresented. You might be sitting on a toilet and hear yourself say, Joan Fontaine, in a low voice. His question, how do you live? You're following a sound. It leads you off the road you were trying to stay on. And then, once you're good and lost, the sound goes quiet. I think that always happens. Then you have three choices. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, like. Shall we return? Yeah, I don't mean. I know you're sick. We must. Yeah, both. Yeah, yeah. Now that we're here, you have to ask us something. Yeah, you have to Otherwise, we'll feel really stupid. We would have come up here again. Thinking that someone was interested in something, so you gotta you gotta do it for us, somebody, Max. If no one else, Max will have a question. Ah. Um, my question is for Cynthia, um, but I was curious if it would be possible at all to ask you um, the question in Mandarin and in English, if that would be okay with you. I don't know. I mean, you can. I only I only know like fifty words of Mandarin, so it would be like a it would be like. A thing, you know. Um, it would be me partly understanding. Okay. Um, no worries. No, I, I kind of that kind of goes with like my question or whatever. Um, you're also half Chinese, and so um, sorry, I'm trying to figure out a way to the question. I don't know if this is ever like occurred to you, but I was just kind of curious if you've run into any barriers with your writing in terms of maybe like judgments or I don't know if you've explored writing in French or Chinese and run into the barrier where because you're only half of that particular ethnic identity, you're only half legitimate in that particular language. Not in my writing, but in little incidents, but um I'm fluent in French, and so I think to write in French, um, which I don't do very much of at all, feels like a way of stepping onto some different branch of a tree of style or some other slice of the mind. And that's totally great because I feel like that's what's so amazing about language. It's, it's going to form your thoughts for you in a way. You know, you know all that stuff. All that, all that graduate school stuff, <laughs> all that Foucault stuff. But um, as far as the Mandarin goes, I mean, to me, it's just those moments of paradox that can't be expressed in anything, um, to me, but um, a very clear way that, that Gabe described, you know? Me listening and listening and listening to a Mandarin tape 
and like I played piano for 10 years, so I'm like, I have a great ear. And I go to Beijing with my blonde, blue-eyed boyfriend, and he walks into a store and says something, and everybody understands what he is saying, and like life continues for him, and I walk in, and they think I speak Chinese, and I say something, and everyone looks at me like, what the F, you know? I mean, so I think that if I had de dedicated more of my life to learning Chinese and learning French and wanting to write in those languages, I think that could permit a kind of poem that would be, um, you know, enacting that kind of feeling you get from other kinds of poems. Like sometimes I read Jan John Ashbery and I feel like I'm on the train, I know where I am, I can see out the window, and suddenly you're in a tunnel and you're like, I don't know what just happened, but I'm just going to keep going with this. And I think that writing in many languages could, you know, do that for your audience in a different way. So, I don't know if that was enough of an answer, but that's my answer. That's, that's my 10 cents. Anybody else? Uh, Gabe? I actually have questions for both of you guys, I guess. In the longer poem you read, the, I guess the first one from your collection, um, it seemed to be following a path that it ended with this really, really striking kind of conversation um, that took place, I'm assuming, in a veterinary office, but maybe just someone on the street could be. Um, hopefully in a veterinary office. And, I, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. But my, my question was uh, kind of about, I guess, about the process of writing that. It did, because it did seem to be using on, kind of like we were talking about, this idea of, you know, the epics of history, epochs, I don't know how to say that word, but yeah, like that, that and kind of being in a museum and kind of conflict and how that all gets sorted in. It was a really nice image at the end, but did that come along, did you tack that on later? Was that like something which occurred to you as like, this is... It was sort of like the poem was being written, the poem was being written, and I was sitting in the vet's office and I heard that. And it just seemed really to belong. And it wasn't so much like, oh yeah, that's the ending, definitely. But it was like, it went into the poem, and it circulated in the poem, and it seemed like the thing. But I guess if my mother um, was sort of a little girl in World War II, and just like, is walking through this museum saying pithy things that are like, what's the point of this? What's the point of that? Uh, she also, she also. okay, my mother is super adorable, super cute, loves animals. Everyone says she's like a living saint. But she also says things like, the last real poetry was written in 18th century France. You know, so like, she doesn't even know about the second book. But, um, um, so, her being the real, conflicting with this idea, this approximation of history, and then this guy just being like so stubborn about like, no, we got to make it like terrible. <laughs> you know, it seemed yeah. to go together. But as far as composing, the, one of the poems that I think I kept around for the longest of any poem, so. Your turn. <laughs> my, my question for you, and this might all fall apart if, well, I'll ask the first part. Um, it seemed like you started some of your poems before you had gotten to the page, that you have some of them memorized. Yeah. Yeah? Awesome. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> the second part is this. I'm assuming you have to read 
through your films quite a bit to have them really bound, or you have to have been reading with them for years. And I wonder whether, um, kind of how that feels. I, you know, I've been reading in some capacity for a few years, and I've never gotten to the point where I have like a long, detailed poem memorized. I mean, I think it, like, does it feel, uh, does it feel different to read a poem off a page versus to be able to pull it out of your mind? Do you like? ever get sick of reading the poems that you can pull out of your mind because you've clearly have read them so much that you've memorized them? Uh, well, when I'm writing, I say, I say the poems until they're done. So by the time they're done, I know them. Because that's how I write them. So, yeah, now I'm on a book tour, you know, we've been out since January 18th, so, you know, yeah. I know them even better. Uh, <laughs> But I like I always mix them up. I mix them up as much as possible. Now, this reading that I did tonight is is very similar to the one I did last night. But that's because I'm about ready to you know drop dead here. But usually I like to change change it a lot to keep myself interested. And uh, and I I discover things about the poems as as I do that. And I'm not sick of them yet. Um, you know, I'm one of those kind of people that think, you know, they're not really mine. You know what I mean? Who knows where they come from? I work on them. I try to get them right. But I don't, I don't have to feel bad about it or feel, you know, embarrassed like certain people I, who will go unnamed. I almost said it. Um, <laughs> you know, think that I should be embarrassed because of reading poems so many times, but this work comes to me. It's, you know, it's given to me. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say anything bad about it. And that's a fun, is that a funny thing to say? Because, I don't know, you know what I mean? You, you, you think you should feel bad. Because you should somehow, you should somehow be the person who can write the poems, be the person who can go out and say the poems, and still be the person who is so fucking self-deprecating that it's just like, oh, but of course they're no good, <laughs> you know? But I don't feel that way. <laughs> Maybe a couple more. Since you're still standing there, and All right. like, we're going to let you like, collapse soon. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, the image, there's an image uh, in, well, in the Young Tambly near the end where all the poems are laid out on the, on the wall. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I believe there's an image in one of the videos of one of the previous books that all the poems are laid out on the wall. I always, I always like to write, well, when I had my studio, now we sold the house in the studio, but when I had my studio, I really liked to, to put the work up on the wall and then you can walk and say it and that's a really that's a really helpful way to to say everything over and over and and to uh arrange things and cut things and yeah, yeah. so yeah i i i actually designed the book on the wall but of course then sadly it was not a book as my publisher pointed out <laughs> uh uh you know janet and i went through you know a period of adjustment like we do every time i do a book <laughs> you know but she's great, and she lets me do practically anything I want. Who else would do that, right? So, yeah, that's how I do it. Sounds good. Yeah? Sorry, I'm 
Don't be afraid. <laughs> um, I was just wondering what your take is on boundaries right now within poetry and writing poetry, and how. What are the points um, of like? I guess like I'm interested in where different multimedia. Um, Sorry, I'm not articulate. Um, where are the places that poetry can like intersect into like different um, forms of art, or like where do you see that? Um, sorry, I know this is kind of. I, I get. I I understand you. Um, I often think of this thing that Brandon Shimoda said to me years ago, and it's a simple statement, but it really it really got to me. He said, "You know, I just want poems to do more," and I really feel that way. I mean. Poetry is what I can do in writing, but like with this book, I, I wrote a lot of prose for it. It was, you know, hard to do. I read it today. That's even harder to do. But, uh, you know, I'm trying to, I wanted to, I want to break out, you know, like a lot, don't we all, right? I want to break out. I want to, I want to mix up poetry and prose. I want to mix up uh, poetry and film. I want to do music. I want to create an installation. I want to keep painting. I want to do everything and I want it all to be one thing because it really is in a way to me. And I think a lot of us feel that way and that was one of the points I was trying to make in Young Tambly is that most of us who are creative, we do, we do a lot of different things it's, and it's all part of the same thing. Does that answer that question though? Yeah, I mean, I'm an artist, you know. And so I think that covers everything. <laughs> Along that lines, to what extent does the you broke away into photos of us? What extent oh. is that project? Uh, or if that is an upcoming project, it's a project. Yeah, I'm every, at every reading. I take a photo. I take a photo or two if if I'm lucky enough to have a, such a big audience. Um, I take a photo of the audience, and I'm going to use it in a in a film that I'm working on. I think it'll be the introduction to to a film that's based on the last section of the book that's called We. So. What's that? <laughs> yeah, right. Do, we, do I need to get some releases uh, signed here or what? <laughs> I think you'll let you. Uh, you let me? Okay. All right. Did you, did you have something else? Sorry. Just no, it's fine. Right. Really yeah. Um, with the books that you published, do you do things where it's kind of like you publish one book and then I don't do that on purpose, but I, I think, you know, like Neil Young said, you know, it's all one song. I, I date myself there, but <laughs> you might have heard of them. I don't know. <laughs> okay, thank you.